that God desires. If you have your Bibles, turn with me tonight to the book of Isaiah chapter 61. I need everybody's attention. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The response God desires. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Somebody say liberty. Liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion yes it is possible to even mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. We're not preaching about the engrafted word tonight, but we could. That he might be glorified that he might be glorified why are we fasting pastor that he might be glorified why are we praying pastor that he might be glorified why are we preaching pastor that he might be glorified why are we worshiping why do we praise that he might be glorified. Why don't you put your hands together tonight? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we want to behold your glory tonight afresh. We want to behold your glory tonight, God, in a mighty way. I pray, Lord, that your will would be accomplished in each and every heart and in every mind and in every life tonight. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Why don't you shout amen tonight? Amen. You can be seated tonight. The response God desires. Forty-three times it is recorded in the Bible that God said. God said it is recorded 218 additional times that the Lord said and so nearly 300 times the Bible records God speaking that God spoke is not something that is unfamiliar to us tonight. We understand that he spoke at the beginning. We understand that he spoke with the first man and the first woman. We could take it a step further tonight and understand that he spoke with Cain, their sinful son, the first murderer recorded in human history. We could fast forward generations to a man by the name of Noah and find that God spoke with Noah. We could go further into history yet again and discover that God spoke to Abram and Sarai. 
He spoke to Abraham and Sarah. He spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Hagar. He spoke. He spoke. He spoke. And on down through the list we could go. We could talk about Moses tonight. We could talk about Joshua. We could discuss Deborah. We could speculate over Samuel. And we could uh, we could talk about David and so on and so forth. Solomon again and again and again. We could talk about Nathan. We could talk about Gad. We could talk about Ahithophel. We could talk about all of these characters that we read about in our Bible. And they're, they're more than characters. They are individuals in the story of God's uh, relationship with humanity. But we need to understand tonight that God does not speak so that he can pass the time. He does not speak out of boredom. He does not speak because he is sleepy. Some of us in this room, it is very evident when we become tired because we start chattering like those wind-up teeth that we used to have as kids. Hey, are you tired? No. Then be quiet for three minutes. God doesn't do that. He does not talk to keep himself awake. He does not talk to hear his own voice. He does not speak so he can just simply go through motions and simply pass time. But we understand tonight that when God speaks, he desires a response. When he spoke at creation, he desired a response and he received a response. Out of nothing, everything came into existence. When he speaks, things begin to happen. When he spoke to Noah, plans were set into motion. When action was taken and an ark was built for the saving of Noah's family. When he spoke to Abram, Abram moved. You get the picture tonight. We understand that God speaks not to simply waste time, but God speaks in order to see a response, in order to hear a response. And we would be, uh, we would be remiss tonight. We would be, we would be doing ourselves a disservice and selling ourselves short if we only believed that He wanted a response from creation as far as natural creation and the nature that we sell a great disservice if we believe that it was only the universe that would, would respond to him he said if you would hold your peace the stones would cry out I've come to tell us tonight that nature will respond nature does respond but we are not in a situation tonight nor do we have the privilege of believing that when God speaks we can do nothing Pastor, I think you got that backwards. I think you meant to say that when God speaks, we can do, we can't do anything. Because what is man? You're mindful of him. No, I didn't get it backwards tonight. We would be completely and utterly wrong to believe that when God speaks, we can afford to be silent. We would be completely and utterly wrong tonight if we believed that when God spoke, we could be still. Let me ask you tonight what the, the nation of Israel might look like if when God had spoke, Abram had done nothing. How might human history have been different if when God spoke, Noah did not build an ark for the saving of his household? Let me tell you what would have happened. God would have allowed time to continue until there was another one that said, I want to do something about this. I've come to preach to us tonight that there is a response that God desires from you. In our opening text, we read the words that were penned by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He was not a physical, but a figurative giant in human history, specifically Jewish history. The prophet Isaiah would be quoted more times than any other prophet in the New Testament. 
This man, Isaiah, lived on the border between the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. He was one of the few prophets who observed firsthand the fall and captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel. If you were to study rabbinical history, that's rabbis, Jewish rabbis. If you were to study their history, and you were to study the, the history that they have recorded, you would find that they believe that Isaiah was the first cousin to King Uzziah. That he was a descendant of, are you ready? The relationship between Judah and Tamar. That may not mean anything to you. Until you realize that Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law whose husband passed away and Judah did not keep his word to her and so she dressed like a prostitute of the road when she heard that Judah was coming and he did not know who he who she was and he went in unto her had sexual relations with her and from that relationship there was a child that was born and Jewish historians believe that down through that lineage of Judah's family tree comes the man by the name of Isaiah and you think you got a lot of baggage I'm just going to camp on that thought for a minute. I'm not trying to make light of anybody's baggage. Because it's real, it happened, and so on. But don't think for one moment that your baggage disqualifies you from being used by God. Isaiah was very likely the product of incest by Mary. If anybody had a reason why I can't be used by God when praise got perverted, don't think tonight that your baggage disqualifies you. But when God begins to move, Isaiah begins to respond. So I just want to drop this little note in here tonight. There's still a response that is expected. There is a response that is desired from you in spite of your baggage, in spite of your problems. Of your family history, God's hand is not so weak that he cannot use what man described as a problem, as what man described as an issue. His hand is not so weak that he cannot use what man has described as a mistake. If this is all true about Isaiah, we also need to discover the other side of the coin and realize that Isaiah was not a simpleton. First cousin to King Uzziah, historians believe that Uzziah's father and Isaiah's father were brothers. If all of that's true, then Isaiah was not a simpleton. But he had a family history of royalty. And this man of God would have been familiar with the inner workings and the outer workings, the ins and outs of the palace and the court life. This man by the name of Isaiah was the confidant and advisor to at least five kings, including Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and even King Hezekiah. Jewish tradition says that Isaiah likely died during the reign of King Manasseh. And that the reference in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 37, when, when it's describing the hall of faith, and it says, and they were sawn asunder, is in reference to this great man of God, 
who met his death by being encapsulated in a log and cut in half. Quoted more times in the New Testament than any other prophet. This man by the name of Isaiah, this great man of God, writes in the 61st chapter of the book of Isaiah, our opening text and in all of his instruction and in all of his greatness that is the book of Isaiah scholars do not believe that he was writing in verses 1 through 3 about himself or about his own call of God but rather he was being able to see into the future notice with me tonight that if Isaiah was really a product of the relationship between Judah and Tamar that puts him into the lineage of Jesus Christ that puts him in the family that comes from the tribe of Judah that would have been in the same family group as Jesus Christ himself and so we believe that in Isaiah chapter 61 he is seeing into the future in uh, this Messiah that was promised to his family's lineage that he is seeing Jesus Christ even perhaps walking into the synagogue the place of his upbringing and quoting this passage of scripture as Jesus walks in the Bible tells us that he grabs a scroll from the priest and he begins to read from the prophet Isaiah the spirit of the Lord God is upon me and in so doing he's putting hell on notice that he has just stepped into his calling and things are getting ready to happen in the earth as they are already happening in heaven I want to preach to you tonight that the word of the Lord demands a response the Spirit of God demands and desires a response. I'm going to preach for just a moment tonight where the rubber meets get off your case okay when the word of God is preached he demands or expects we could say it nicely and say he desires a response I cannot sit still and just let the word of God pass me by There is a response that God desires. Response that God desires. Despite the baggage, Isaiah, get into the presence of God. Get into a spirit of prayer. I know that you're living in a, in a place of division between the north and the southern kingdoms. I know that there's a place, of, that's a place of tension. I know you were firsthand witness of the fall of the greatest nation that has ever been and ever will be. I know I'm preaching in America tonight, but I still believe that the kingdom of God is the greatest nation. And it started with Israel. And it's continuing with us right now. But Isaiah, I know that you're living in a place of contention there. Between the north and the south. But in spite of all of that, when the Spirit of the Lord begins to move, Isaiah, you got to make up your mind that your surroundings are not going to dictate your response. Isaiah, I know. You fast. Let's just bring it down to where we live. I know some of us have been fasting for two days now. I don't know about you, but when I fast, I get cold. I get really cold. I am freezing right now. I was so cold before church, I plugged in my space heater in my office and turned it on high. Put it underneath my desk. Freezing. So, am I going to allow the discomfort in my body Say, you know what? You better take it easy and not sweat. You might get chilled. No, I believe that there's a response that God desires for me. So when I come in, I may not feel like worshiping. I may not feel like lifting my hands and praising God. I'm just going to cut it straight. I may not even feel like getting dressed for church, but I'm coming to church. I'm going to give God. 
I'm going to give God the desire that he's longing for. I'm going to give God the desire that pleases him. There is a response that God desires. I say, I know it's uncomfortable living in that place. I know it's uncomfortable being the one to carry the message to five different kings. I know it's uncomfortable when you've prayed for Hezekiah. God's added 15 years to his life and in celebration of God extending his life, he opens up his palace doors and shows the world everything that he's got. And the, literally the days after God heals him and brings healing to him, you have to walk back into his house and say, you have made a royal mistake. I'm just, and you got to sit there and listen to him say, well, I'm just glad it's not going to happen in my day. What kind of father are you? I say, I know that's a place of contention. I say, I know that, that hearing the king talk like that is not comfortable. I know that that's, that's not a message that is pleasant to deliver. But Isaiah, there's a desire from God that he, he, he desires a certain response. And it's a response that may not make sense to our humanity. But God will bless the response that he desires. I wonder how it makes God feel when we don't feel like coming to church, but yet we get up and we get dressed and we come to church and we do more than just sit. We say, okay, God, I'm here. You know I'm weak in my flesh. You know I don't feel like it, but I'm not going to just sit by. I'm not going to just park myself on the pew. God, I'm going to get up. I'm going to make my way to an altar. I come to preach to us tonight that there is a response that God desires. There is a response that God desires. What I do while I'm in the presence of God matters. What I do when I'm at church matters. What I do during worship and praise matters. What I do during preaching matters. What I do during the altar call matters. There is a desire of God to a response and he gives us a great example in Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 through 3 if we are doing more than seeing this through the eyes of Isaiah the prophet and we're really seeing this through the mind and the eyes of Jesus Christ the Messiah then, then let's step into his brain for just a minute. When Jesus quotes this in Luke, I believe it's chapter 4, he has just come back from fasting for 40 days. He's been tempted in the wilderness. I mean, some of us have had rough days, but Satan literally appears. If you're really automatically starts attacking his identity. If you're really the son of God, turn these stones to bread. You've been fasting for 40 days, Brother Ezekiel. Now, if I get on about day one, And Sister Blaze, Satan appeared and says, hey, if you really are who you say you are, 
turn those stones to tacos. Scoot over. I'm getting in. Turn into pizza. I'm getting in. But he's attacking his identity. If you really are who you say you are, you mean to tell me I'm fasting and I'm still being attacked? Yeah. But how you respond matters. If you're really the son of God. And what does Jesus do? Jesus starts responding with his own word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. The word became flesh. And he starts using the word. He starts combating Satan with the endless, timeless, eternal word of God. And he's attacking Jesus' identity. But what does Jesus say? It is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He's not just being attacked. His identity is not just being attacked. But now, Brother Pickard, he's got a hold on his identity. And when he walks out of that wilderness, he walks straight back into the city of Nazareth where he grew up. The city of Nazareth where they all said, well, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the son of the carpenter? Isn't this Jesus the carpenter? And he walks back in. He said, give me that scroll. And he grabs the scroll and he opens it up and he starts reading the spirit of the Lord God is upon me how you respond matters I want to preach to somebody tonight that's feeling like you've been beat up by hell you need to grab hold of who you are in God there's power in your identity that's why hell is fighting you so hard because he knows if she ever gets a grasp on it if he ever grabs hold of who he is in God there's nothing I can do to stop him The Spirit is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. He said, I'm anointed and I know it. The Spirit's on me and I'm not just... You need to understand tonight that you are not just anybody else. But you are anointed. The Spirit of God is upon you and you are anointed and I recognize it. To preach good tidings unto the meek. Let's break it down to language that we can better understand. He's saying, I'm a preacher to the poor. And I got a message for the poor. I got a message to the lowly. I got a message to the abused. I got a message to those that are beat up. To those that are beat down. There's a message of hope that's coming in. That's God's desired response. What the enemy means for evil, God's going to use for good. Even my wife said, you can still do it. There's a response that God desires from you. But you got, we got to shake the cobwebs out of our mind. The cobwebs that say when all hell's breaking loose and I can't see up from down and I'm releasing the little bit of air bubbles I got just to see which way the surface is so I can try to swim up to the surface. How I respond in those times matter. How I respond in those situations matter. Let me tell you something. I was so thankful. I was so Holy Ghost proud today when I walked into the church and I was looking at that prayer log book and there were some that are, that are fasting today and instead of staying at home, staring at the cupboards, thinking about what time they can eat, they said, you know what? I'm going to come to the church and I'm going to pray longer than I've ever prayed. We got young people praying for over an hour. Whether they feel like it or not, their response matters. Young person, that's a response that God loves. God loves that response. 
The Spirit of the Lord God's upon me. The Spirit's on me. I'm anointed and I recognize it. I'm a preacher to the poor. There's a message that's coming. We need to understand that one of the best things that we can do in those moments when we are down is not to stay down, but to go win somebody else to God. One of the best ways that we can win someone else to God is by telling them what God has done for us. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I was glad when they said unto me, that's a response that God loves. It's a response that God desires. I'm anointed. I recognize it. You tried to take my identity, but I grabbed hold of it in the word of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't touch his beloved. Don't touch his children. Don't touch his church. Send me to bind up the brokenhearted. It literally means those who are broken into pieces. Those that are broken into pieces are the ones on God's radar. The ones who feel like nobody cares are the apple of His eye. The ones who feel like it's all falling apart and it's just a matter of time before I check out. And I'm just barely going to make it by. I'm barely going to survive. God's saying, you are on my radar. I'm called to you. I'm drawn to you. I'm anointed for you. I'm preaching for you. I'm living for you. I'm ministering for you. I'm going to die for you. I was resurrected for you. But when they come into the church, they cannot afford to see a church family that just sits on the sidelines. There is a response that God desires. When God speaks, He expects a response. He spoke and even nothing even nothing responded by becoming something. It's like speaking into a black hole and an entire universe popping out. Nothing comes out of those things. It's the vacuum. Some of us feel like our life is just a vacuum. Anything that gets closer just gets sucked in, sucked away. But that's not the response that God desires. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. He's saying, I'm going to the captive audiences. I'm going to those that are in chains. I am going to those that have been sequestered into darkness. I'm going to those that are living in the mire and the muck and the coldness and the dankness and the dampness and the darkness. Those are the ones to whom I am called. And when I get there, there is a response that I am expecting. When I preach to the brokenhearted, I am expecting the, the response to be that they are made whole. That's God's desired response. When he preaches into your brokenness, he expects there to be wholeness that comes from that. When he speaks into your chaos, he expects order to fall into place.
proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The day of vengeance to our God to comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. Listen, these are the responses. Those who are mourning are mourning because things have been taken away. The Jewish custom was for them to rip their garments. To put on sackcloth. Sackcloth. Not paper or plastic. But sacks. As clothing. Rough. Coarse. Not. They would cover themselves in ashes. Everybody knew something has been lost. Of God is that when He steps into that situation, the response that He desires is not for you to stay in your sackcloth and ashes. But if you just stay in your pew, then you will stay in your sackcloth. If your seat remains in constant contact with the seat, that is not the desired response. The desired response from Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3 is to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty. For ashes. And the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He wants to reach town and remove the sackcloth and put on you fine robes of linen, fine robes of silk, and to say that that begins to take place when you begin to respond with praise. I come to preach to somebody tonight. The response that God desires is for you to respond to his word. To give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for their mourning. Oil was always symbolic, or not always, but mostly symbolic in the Bible of the Spirit of God. The anointing of the Spirit of God. And he said there is oil joy for your mourning a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness we want God to respond before we respond God cannot respond Before we respond. Yes, sir. You want to go to the zoo? Me too. You want to know why I talked to him? Because he talked to me. He didn't, re he didn't respond. I responded. But I couldn't talk to these guys because they weren't talking to me. He's already talked. How will you respond? Here are 
are some responses that he is looking for. He's saying my response matters. I'm going to walk in the anointing. I'm going to operate in the anointing. I'm going to preach to those who are down and out and that they don't have to remain down and out. And if they'll grab hold of the message and they'll respond to the message, then I can respond by swapping out their garment. But if they won't stop mourning, I can't swap out the garment. Thank you, Brother Prado. you got to put it down sometimes in order to be able to pick it back up. Thank you. I want to swap it out. But if you won't stop grieving, I can't swap it out. I cannot give you, we'll use the towel because my jacket's sweaty now, the garment of praise if you won't give me the sackcloth from your mourning. If you want joy, but won't get out of the pew. There, there cannot be a transaction. I cannot even buy anything, even in today's marketplace, without going somewhere. Well, what about online shopping? I still have to go to the website. There is still effort, even though it's minimal. You might sweat buying groceries online. But there is no transaction that is made without movement. If you came to my house... to buy something from me or to give me something and I would not open the door or I would not come to the door to open the door. The transaction cannot be made. If I want a stuffed crust pepperoni pizza Hang on. I'm wanting it right now, just so you know. Why isn't it here? I want a dino tomahawk steak. That's one that the bone is like this long. They leave the whole rib attached. It makes no difference in the taste. It just looks cool. It's food and a weapon. Pardon me while I want this. It's not here. Why isn't it here? Because I haven't gone anywhere to make the transaction. I haven't moved to make the transaction. I want this iPad. I had to go get it. There's a transaction. Woo. I couldn't have got that standing over here. I really want a kiss from my wife. She's in the room. She's willing. But because I haven't moved, I can't get what I want. Let me just tell you this. God is in the room. And He wants. He wants. Real bad. Real bad. I feel it. In the room. I feel Him wanting. 
when he begins to work, when he begins to move, there are certain responses that he is expecting. He is expecting the captives to remain captives no longer. He is expecting those who are mourning to find praise. He is expecting those who are empty to be filled. He is expecting those who are filthy to be made clean. He is expecting those who are unrighteous to be righteous. If I do not take part in the transaction, he expects change. He expects victory. God desires the response of faith and the response of obedience. There is a desire to respond. The response that God desires is for you and I to make our way into his presence and say, God, whatever it is that you're doing, I want to be part of it. Whatever it is, God, that you are up to, I want to be in the thick of it. Because the simple fact of the matter is that when God steps into darkness, the response from darkness is that it flees. When he steps into the same room where there are evil demonic spirits, he expects the demons to flee. That's the response that God desires is something has got to break. Something has got to change. And it's got to do it at the blink of an eye. It's going to do it in a moment. What if I don't want to? Seems like a simple question until you read what the Bible says. James chapter 4. Remember James, the earthly half-brother of Jesus who did not believe until after the resurrection. He said it this way. Verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is said. To know and not do doubles the offense of disobedience. When the word of God goes forth, he desires the response of faith. He desires the response of obedience. I don't want to just be a hearer of the Word. That was James. James again in verse, verse uh, 22 of chapter 1. But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. You do, you will deceive your own self. We blame a lot on the devil that may just be our own lack of response. Romans 10. I'm coming to a close. Musicians come. Romans 10 13. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe? in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things there's a response that God desires but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah's for Isaiah, that's the Greek for Isaiah, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? 
God, I feel like I'm preaching to a block wall. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The response that God desires is for you to grab hold in faith. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily their sound went out into all the earth and their words unto the end of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But when they heard me, when they heard of me, they grabbed hold. There are things that God has even in this room tonight for you that will work to your benefit and you're not even seeking it. But that's just the way God works. You and I, a Gentile people, did not sojourn looking for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Yet here we are. Because a, a Gentile by the name of Cornelius prayed. And God said, he doesn't even know why he's praying or what he's praying. He's not looking for a city. He's just looking for something more. And I'm going to give him more than he's ever bargained for. I want to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. I wonder tonight if we would stand all over this sanctuary. I'm not even going to invite you to the front. If you want to step out in faith, you can do so. I wonder what God might be able to do for me based upon my response to his word. I want my response to be the response that he desires.